But why why are we here, Nick? Uh, we're here because it is another episode of Joey hates film. What? They got the name. <laughs> Sorry, Nick, you got the name it's wrong. Joey hates movies. Uh, it, it's it's all about the branding. It's 2019. Yeah, we got the most important thing we'll you say can it two do. Two more times. Joey hates movies. Joey hates movies. Yeah, don't say it three times or else. Okay. You Beetlejuice summon Joey. And yeah, we <laughs> Joey. And Very confusing. Oh, we should Man. watch Beetlejuice. Please no. That's a good. It's that's a good. A, if you're gonna, movie. I, I think if you're gonna watch one Tim Burton, you should watch Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, or like, is that a Jim Carrey movie? No. no. Oh, never. Mind. Michael Keaton. I'm thinking of The Mask. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, what's our movie for today? Uh, we I picked Fargo. Oh. 1996 film Fargo. Joe, you love Fargo. I love Fargo, the television series. <laughs> Something that uh, when it when it came out. I'm like, oh, this is based off a movie. I've never seen the movie. I wonder if I should watch the movie. And then proceeded to not watch it through any of the three seasons of television <laughs> that I watched. In the back of my head, I'm like, oh, maybe there's like, you know, world connections or something going on. I should like connect these pieces of media in, 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 my, in my media literacy brain. And I never did until yesterday. Oh. And I had never seen the TV show until like a year ago. Did I pressure you into doing that? No, because I had started watching the series on a plane, uh, on a plane to Japan, and I got like seven episodes in before my my plane landed, and I just never finished it. Wait, what? <laughs> that feels like a very oppressive way to watch that yeah, show. I was like, oh, this is all I got. All right, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. And then I watched it like two years later in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah. so you watched the first seven episodes twice? Yeah. Regardless, we're not talking about... The FX television. I feel like we will, though, eventually. Like, it, it'll come up. I feel like I'll have to because there definitely is some framing in my mind that comes from watching them backwards. Because I would assume that most people watched the movie before consuming the show. It was a very popular movie. Because it was a very popular It was, like, nominated for, like, best screenplay, right? I think it won best screenplay and got I, nominated for some other things. I, I believe this? it was nominated for best screenplay. Okay. We have computers in front of us. We have <laughs> notes. We could just read them. But um, if I'm going to sound uncertain about myself, I think it was it won best original screenplay. It was nominated for best editing, and it was nominated for best lead actress. Sounds about right. Was uh, this was this their like breakout movie, The Coen Brothers? Uh, or did well, they? That's a Nick question. I think so. No, they had Miller's Crossing and Barton but, Fink first, but this but this was definitely like, the biggest. I don't know that those were as critically acclaimed. Like Barton Fink is like very much a movie about movies and stuff like that, and then Miller's right. Crossing is just boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care about mob people. Yeah. Ugh. I know our flow is generally you're the one with all the fun facts, Coral, mm-hmm. but I did learn that the Coen Brothers you just use a pseudonym for editing. Oh. Which they got nominated for for Fargo. Oh. So a person who doesn't exist got nominated for Best Editing for Fargo, and the Coen brothers didn't know what to do if they were going to win. <laughs> uh, so Fargo won Best Original Screenplay. It won Best Actress, that's Frances McDormand, uh, wife of one of the Coen brothers, I forget which one. And uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. So this is something that like a lot of people have seen, especially a lot of people who are like our age or a little bit older than us. Um, I remember my parents talking about really liking watching Fargo, or at least my dad. 
especially when the TV series was coming on, they're like, oh, son, you should watch the movie. I, rem- <laughs> I remember back when you were just a little boy pooping in your pants and we went to the movie theater with your mom and we, we watched Fargo. It was a good movie. Good movie, son. My dad Cole, doesn't talk like that. Cole, what was your experience with Fargo? I had seen it when I was probably like in middle school. Oh, just wow. one time. Um, and I remember liking it, but I certainly was like fuzzy on most of the, the plot and felt a little bored by it the first time I saw it because yeah. I was a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, so I, I enjoyed getting to go back, especially now that I have context for like Coen Brothers movies, whereas at the time I'm sure I didn't. Um, did you watch the TV shows? I did. I like them. I don't think I like them as much as... A lot of other people seemed to, but um, I, I, I enjoy the conversation, especially between the film and the, the TV show. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. Fun thing to dive into. Uh, I didn't know much about the movie aside from the, uh, the, the buried briefcase. Mm-hmm. So you knew and that the, about And the, the wood chipper. I, I knew about the buried briefcase because of the, the continuity kind of similar world. It is, I mean, I guess it is the same world as, as season one. Yeah, so the TV show. this is a prequel to the TV series in theory, right? In theory, yeah, that's that's the way that it works. Even though the timeline for all those shows are kind of a little bit wonky, yeah, there there is like direct connection with the buried briefcase of money from the movie in season one, mm-hmm. and um, and then I knew about the wood chipper just from pop culture. Interesting. But aside from that, I didn't know what the wood chipper looked like. Mm. Fargo. <laughs> I, Fargo was always one of those movies for me before I had seen it. It was like the one that like film people talk about a lot where it's like, yo, this is like a good example of screenwriting. This is what a movie kind of like if you, you if you need to make a movie like this is a good example of what a movie can and should be, blah, blah, blah. It was very critically acclaimed in that respect. Can you explain to me why that is? Because I don't think I understand, I, I, and I'm not trying to like be facetious or shitty. Like, can you explain to me why that would be the case? I mean, without going too much and spoiling some of our discussion, I, I think it's just the way it frames good and evil is not this big grandiose thing. It is very much like, oh, these are kind of like realistic to some extent. Like, you know, people who are like this, and you know, people who have relationships like this, and it's, I, I think truer to life than most movies about good versus evil and everything that lies in between uh but in addition to that it's like a nice of like it's a good example of character too i I think francis mcdormand especially you know it's super against especially in the late late 90s it's fighting against the type of like oh she's a cop but she's like a, a, a woman cop which is like oh this is this is interesting and she's pregnant well clearly she can't do that much and every every her introduction is very much like a no she's just good at her job she just also happens to be pregnant like the, yeah. the, it subverts a lot of expectations as far as what people expected at the time from characters i think that's one thing that i always have to take a step back and remember is like what the expectations would be in like the time frame of of the initial release because we have, for better or for worse, for better, pro- progressed to a yeah. point where some I of mean, now we're presented less. with more complicated characters on a regular basis, which is great. That's it's, like, it's like an arms race of writing. Yeah. Um, but she definitely paved the way for, like her character paved the way for, you know, male and female cops characters. from here on out. And like I think her character introduction is one of my favorite things in this movie. It's so cool. never really thought about that, but. Coral, what is Fargo about? 
Do we want to just get into a plot summary real, real quick? Yeah, I do. A refresher? Yeah, okay. please. Uh, Jerry is a Midwestern car salesman, and he's struggling with some serious but undefined financial troubles, probably some shady business deals you get the vibe of. He is left with limited options, so he hires two criminals, Carl and, I think, Gare? Yeah. G-A-E-A-R. So I'm going to go with Gare. Uh, to kidnap his wife in a scheme to extract ransom money from his wealthy father-in-law. The plan is simple and no real violence is intended, but the world is a messy place and the situation tilts out of control. Soon the kidnappers have killed a cop and then two witnesses. Uh, Marge is a pregnant sheriff in the town of those murders. She traces the crimes back to Jerry's car dealership, but finds him mostly unsuspicious upon their first meeting. Uh, That night, in a kind of last-minute change of plans, Jerry's father-in-law insists on making the ransom drop himself instead of letting Jerry do it. The exchange goes poorly. It escalates into this sloppy, weird shootout. Uh, Jerry's father-in-law is killed, and then Carl, the kidnapper, is maimed but alive. He buries the cash and returns to his partner, who then kills him with an axe over a dispute on how to split the money. Marge's investigation continues. It leads her back to Jerry's dealership. She presses him more aggressively. She's definitely suspicious of him this time, which triggers him to flee the lot. Uh, She's still able to trace the kidnappers to their cabin, where she sees Gare feeding Carl's body into a wood chipper. He tries to run. She shoots him. The police eventually arrest Jerry at a nearby motel. And, And that's the gist of it. And all for what? Just a little bit of money. <laughs> so Fargo. <laughs> so I, I mean, I think the thing that stands out for me, like immediately, uh, as someone who is now more familiar with the Coen Brothers' like filmography, is just the opening title card. Like this movie is based on real events, and the names have been changed to preserve the the identities of those affected blah 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 like that's that's, that's all fake and that's the first thing to talk about really because it's right at the top of the movie too you're just presented with that screen of this this is a true story but it frames it in reality which i think the movie is like you can't i i honestly can believe the events of this movie because of how well it portrays just kind of idiots with power <laughs> to some extent but like the, that's the the thing about the cornbros there are very just firmly tongue-in-cheek they don't really care a lot of times it feels like it. it's just very just like oh it'd be funny if we did this and it, they just do it and which is cool it, it, uh my understanding is that that's kind of like a commentary on gun culture at the time too because because true stories were very popular mm. um i don't i i'm think that's accurate that sounds appropriate i'm gonna pretend like that's accurate i'm pretty sure that's accurate that sounds uh, fair and and i uh, the entire Fargo TV series also started, you know, with that same slate, which is kind of a way that, that the two universes are connected. And at the beginning of watching Fargo on TV when I did, I'm like, okay, this is a true story, sure. And it took me maybe like <laughs> three episodes, maybe four, <laughs> if I'm being honest, to be like, hold on, wait a second. Yeah, the TV show's a little more... Uh, that one is a little harder it. to believe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a little harder to believe, but I, I, I would love some kind of like, you know, some weird census study of how many people walked away from the movie theater taking that opening message to heart. Yeah, and, and I think it's because it is just firmly grounded in reality. Like, the movie takes place in Fargo, North Dakota. Like, no one knows where that is, but it also is just like, that probably could have happened. I think they place. called it Fargo because really they weren't in Fargo. No, they're not. They're very. It's like one scene, right? I think that that the bar meeting at the beginning is in Fargo, but everything yeah. else is not. <laughs> just the opening, and and I, I, that's a just. It's just 
why call it Fargo? I, I think that's one of the only. Problems. What was the name? What was the name of the town that they were actually in? But Bemidji, 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 Bernard, Bernard, Bernard. Bernard. <laughs> Damn it! I was not close. I feel like Fargo is just a better word. Yeah, it like is. You just want you want to go see Far- Fargo. You don't want to go see Bernard. I wish that I could live in a world where uh, I was working at a movie theater when Fargo come, came out, just so I can hear people walk out of the theater trying to do Midwestern accents. <laughs> I feel like that's definitely the easiest accent to try and, like, affect your voice with. Oh, don't you know? Yeah. And it's very cute. Like, it's just – that that that's the – this movie's weird because of that combined with a couple other things where, like, if we're talking Coen Brothers in, like, in retrospect looking at all their filmography, this movie is, like, the unsexy version of No Country for Old Men. Where it's just like No Country for Old Men is like super cinematic. It's stylized. There's there's so much tension in it. And and it's not that there's no tension in Fargo, but it's so mundane with how it presents all of its scenes, all of its information. There's still some tension, but it's almost comical to some extent when when burglars come in to like actually kidnap uh, what's his face his wife. It feels so silly, like almost slapsticky, but. It's still horrifying, and, and I think that's what's so that like. On, on one end, this movie is about again more than most movies, like true evil, like evil in its purest form, but it's just presented so lifelike, and because it's so lifelike, it's so mundane and just silly a lot of times, and that's why I really like this movie. There were times where I felt like I was laughing at inappropriate things. Yeah, uh, which I think is the intent. And the Coen um, brothers are good at doing stuff like that. I think it's interesting the, the comparing it to New Country for Old Men because I believe I have seen that movie and it feels almost opposite because that movie's really hot, right? And Fargo's really cold. Yeah. And like people are annoyed for different reasons, but there's still like that whole tension of. It's still like small town living. And people then... who are bad get punished and people who are good do good. But no, sometimes good people get punished too. Maybe I should I should brush up on more Coen Brothers stuff. Yeah, they, they're <laughs> like from the get go, they are nihilists. Like they're just like, eh, nothing really matters, dude. Like they're the nihilists from the Big Lebowski. Like that's them. That's that's just they think it's funny, and I don't know that they inherently have anything meaningful to say about nihilism. But they're just like, yeah, man, nothing really matters. Sometimes things don't work out for good people. Yeah, I would say, especially in this movie, it's less about like the bad guys got what they deserve because that's how the world works and more of like greed is destructive. Yeah. And if that is what the driving force of your life is and if that is what every personal relationship you have is based on, those things are going to fall apart as soon as they're put to a test. Exactly. But that's it's not like moralizing as much. And what What's uh, William H. Macy's character's name? Uh, Jerry. Jerry. And I, one of the first things I wrote down... Um, that's really helpful, Coral. Uh, Coral's, Coral has like a little document in front of us that has the uh, the names of all the, uh, the like the writers and directors and who the characters are in world and out. Um, my experience with William H Macy is um, aside from the fact that his daughter cheated to get into school, uh, that and he and he somehow is off the hook for it. Whatever, that's a different discussion. Um, is, is shameless, and I can and really like. Looking at William H. Macy only under that that guise where he's just like this this bad, broken character is is interesting because uh, there there's a lot of ways where the the those two characters, what he's playing in Fargo and what he's doing in Shameless is similar. And it makes 
wonder if if you know the casting director for Shameless was like, oh, you know, I thought that guy was really like dumb, but kind of smart, but kind of dumb, but kind of awkward, but kind of like take chargey in Fargo, and they then they 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 mutated that character. But it was weird just just looking at at Frank Gallagher being like, oh, hey, you're younger, and you <laughs> are in a very different situation. He's um, aged pretty well; like he looks kind of mostly the same. He has. He's he's like what at least twenty years older now. Yeah. Um, and he does look pretty similar, he's just a little bit aged, uh, you know. Cole, what were your first thoughts of meeting Jerry? What was your first impression of Jerry? I, I was kind of surprised at how, well, this isn't a first impression, but you, you feel the, his anxiety so, so physically that even though you know it is his fault that he's in this situation and that he's (laughs) doing bad things and he is literally leveraging his wife to try and get out of these horrible situations, you still like more immediately than any of that, I felt his anxiety when he's on the phone with his boss about the serial numbers on the car, like you just feel that and it's not so much that you understand what he's doing or why he's doing it or you agree but it's just you feel what he feels yeah that type of anxiety of like you're in over your head you you literally can't fix the situation you're in there's nothing you can do to fix it is such a just present feeling I I completely agree with you and and one thing that's weird to me that now that I'm looking back at it is I don't think that there's anything like filmic that heightens that tension mm. to any extent. I don't think that the Coen brothers really do anything creatively with the the way they cut this partic- these particular scenes or anything. Or maybe it is and I'm just like, like oblivious to it because I'm not inherently an editor by trade. But um, I think it's all William H. Macy. Like I think it's him. Like he's just good. I think it's that combined with the the accent and his stammering. And it's like this weird mix of like this wholesome accent with like this master plan slowly kind of unraveling and his just delivery that combines into this weird like clashing mess that makes you feel like him. Yeah, I like how you can really feel just how awkward and uncomfortable he is because it, it comes through and like his acting plays really well that way. And it's also fun you talk about like, you know, th- that wholesome accent or that wholesome part of town. It's it's like they're playing that idea of this um, – I always say Midwestern, but is that correct? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm always like self-conscious that I'm always uh, <laughs> misrepresenting what the Midwest is. Um, but I think that's like the Chicagoish area, um, uh, uh, like like that, that that kind of hospitality versus the craziness that's actually going on. Because mm-hmm. all of these characters feel kind of like normal people. Yeah, to me, they kind of feel like dumb normal people. Like it, it, it seems, I, I don't think they're dumb. It seems like they're they I I guess normally what what I'm getting at is that you have a lot of character archetypes that feel like they know it all or they always have the right answer. Mm. And it's interesting to see characters in this movie just constantly make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thinking about though, I feel like a lot of these characters is this is the time it didn't work for them. You know, this isn't like someone who's been fucking up this way their entire life. And this is just like the one that finally took them down as much as it is like, like those criminals. I feel like they've done shit like this a million times before. And it's been for the most part fine. And this is the time it just all completely spun out. 
and and that's the stuff that movies are made of. like a lot of times people say like oh of course this happens because you know that's what needs to happen for the movie and it's like well like movies obviously you want to capture the most interesting aspects of these characters lives so i think more so than any other film this one does a good job of like i believe that this is the time that they messed up yeah um, but but going back up a lot. Go, going back to their accent though, I think that it does a good job of undercutting a lot of the like sinister intent that's going on in a lot of this movie. And like you said, it it often makes you feel like they are dumb, but but they're not. They are very capable. Well, a lot of them are are very capable human beings, but they are just... on a spectrum. I like uh, William H Macy at the very end of the movie when he's like at in his hotel room. He like forgets his cover name. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, dude. You really are not a great criminal. Uh, but my, my first impression of Macy, why I like Jerry so much and that I despise him is that I think he's the perfect example of what like like that old school Christianity, like this is evil in its purest form because it's not like Adolf Hitler evil or it's like this over-the-top grandiose like, oh, I'm going to kill babies kind of thing. It is very much like a subtle like – Everyone is kind of capable of this kind of evil to some extent, and he just lets it get out of hand. It's the idea like, you know, I just – it's a pathetic – you understand why he's doing it, but the fact that he's even doing it is so pathetic and, and like off-putting, and it's just like, oh, I hate you. But at the same time, it's like, oh, I feel – I understand. You are trodden on. He is definitely like – he would have been like a 4chan shit poster. <laughs> Had this movie been in like 2019, dude, his son was totally unfortunate. That, that, kid, <laughs> that kid was kind of a fuck. Well, that kid was like more, I think, put together than him. Like the kid could at least stand up for himself, and I don't think William H Macy's character is capable of that. I don't think Jerry can do that. That poor kid was the real victim. <laughs> that kid had a white snake poster. He's not a victim. <laughs> <laughs> he also played accordion. I, I like that I also noticed that he had a white snake poster, but I think you only ever see like like E-S-N-A-K at the bottom. Like, I don't, I don't, do you ever see the full poster? Well, Coral knows white snake. <laughs> I, I recognize this. that logo. <laughs> Here I go, yeah. but, but after we meet Jerry, we're uh, – we, quickly are met with a new character, uh, our, our protagonist, Marge, played by Francis McDormand. And Marge is cool. Is there a term uh, for like doing storytelling like this where they kind of swap who you think the protagonist is going to be? Um, I'm not sure. No, I, I'm sure there is, but I, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. But you thought because I do kind of like I do kind of yeah I like that idea where I'm like okay here's our protagonist ten minutes later okay I was wrong here's our protagonist well in the Fargo TV series for the most part like Jerry is the protagonist right yeah his name's not Jerry but yes it, it's not the, so the, much the, the, the Jerry S character is is the protagonist it's not the sheriff whereas in this movie it really is Marge's story yeah it's Marge's story of trying to 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 solve this case and less of Jerry they're 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 almost um, two leads, I'd say. Like, I th- I feel like it gets really close, but but Marge yeah. is just slightly ahead. And and I think that like on purpose, you see the the personal lives of both these characters. Um, so you see Jerry, his relationship with his wife. She's very much like I don't. I'm not sure if it's this movie or the series. I might be getting them mixed up. Where she's like, oh, I should have married this man. But you can imagine his wife saying that in front of him to his face in front of the kid like that's the kind of relationship they have 
and he's willing to try and get her kidnapped for ransom money. And on the other side of the spectrum, we have Marge and her husband, Ed, who, you know, Marge is pregnant. They've been married. You can tell they've been married for a long time. They, I don't think they explicitly say, but you can kind of feel it from the vibes they give off. The way they watch TV together, that is a couple that's been together for a long time. Exactly. And and that's the kind of thing is you, you can tell based on like – it's like this homeliness that they have when they're around each other that's so nice. You know, he wakes up before her even though he doesn't have to. He cooks her breakfast. He watches her eat breakfast. He brings her Arby's at work for lunch. He, he visits her on her lunch break. He's an artist, so he, he kind of mostly stays at home. And she is, you know, she's the, the breadwinner in the family, and, and he kind of— I'm sure he got a lot for that three-cent stamp, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> it's so mundane. He, he won a stamp contest. Oh, the whole got, movie is so mundane. He got second place in a stamp contest. <laughs> yeah, how dare you? He did uh, not win. But, but going back to Marge real quick, like, we're, we're met with her when she's investigating— what happened when this uh, kidnapping kind of went awry? Uh, a cop was killed in this uh, foiled kidnapping, and she's investigating everything that happened. And immediately we see, oh, Marge is pregnant. Okay, that's interesting. We have a, a, a cop who's pregnant. I don't okay, think we see that. I think she tells us. Because I definitely didn't know until she's like, oh, I have morning sickness. No. Because she def- did. did were, were, were I feel like before, you, I did, feel like you can tell. In this I movie. yeah. If only like. She her shirt wouldn't be that loose. Okay. If she weren't. Pregnant. But but I but I think it. I think I think it's both. not very obvious. You don't see like a crazy belly bump. You have to be paying attention. Yeah, I guess. And and, and I think we're we're kind of disarmed by Marge because one, you don't normally see pregnant cops. That's always like an interesting thing to see. And then two, it's the accent again. It undercuts. I think every character, no matter how capable they are, you think like, oh, that's like my friend's mom that I grew up in, with high, in high school with or whatever. But then immediately, as soon as she is like kind of forced to, um, not even forced, she, she's un- leading the investigation. She's like, oh, you know, you could see the victim fall out of the car right here. You can see based on this. So it's like immediately we're met with, no, she's capable at her job. She's good at her job. She's better than the guy. Uh, yeah, her co her, her, uh, partner. partner. What does he do? Doesn't he like cry or something? He gets upset about yeah. something. But not really. I think that he's just he's just he's just portrayed as like not being intelligent. Yeah, he's he's dumb. That's what it is. Now I'm getting confused with Twin Peaks. Oh my gosh. Uh, but yeah, he's he's kind of dumb. I, I think for the most part. Uh, and Marge is leading the investigation, and her hunches are right. She is correct about how everything unfolded, and it's just like cool. Marge is good at her job. Rad. Also, I really just like the relationship between her and Ed. It's so cute. Yeah, well, they're the only people in this movie who treat each other from, like, a genuine affection and genuinely caring about that relationship. And I think her pregnancy also pays into that, where she's participating in, like, the most basic form of, like, caring for another person and having that mutual relationship that is predicated only on love and not, like, opportunity or profit. And like him getting up to cook her eggs is the first nice thing someone does altruistically mm. in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. And one thing that I'm just thinking about now in regards to Marge is I think a lot of times whenever there's a pregnant woman in a movie that's like a thriller, a suspense, you're always kind of worried about her pregnancy to some extent. Like that's a danger. Mm. Like, oh, something might happen to her or the baby. But in this movie, I never really felt I never, that I don't tension. think I ever thought that. Yeah. Uh, like, it's just like, no, she just happens to be pregnant. Like, 
it, it's another one of those Coen Brothers like subversion. It's like no, she's just. It'd be we thought it'd be funny if she was pregnant. <laughs> like <laughs> okay, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. <laughs> um, but but previously you mentioned uh, the relationship between Jerry and his father-in-law. Well, what kind of relationship would you would you guys describe that as? I think his father-in-law also thinks that Jerry's as dumb as I think Jerry is. I feel like the father-in-law definitely like, would have called Jerry a cuck. <laughs> oh, I'm a, I'm a big Mr. Monopoly money man, and you don't provide for my daughter. She is so much better than you. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, the most thinly veiled mutual dislike. <laughs> Barely try at that point. But And that's, you feel so, I felt so bad for Jerry because he's yeah. so pathetic. Yeah. But you, mm, I don't know if I agree with that. But like, at the at the other end of the, it's like no, you're a terrible human being, Jerry. <laughs> but it's just, I think it, I think it is going back to what you said, Cole. It's that anxiety that makes me feel bad for him. The the fact that he made me feel anxiety. Now I suddenly feel bad for him. Yeah, and how present he is in their home. You know, like I didn't feel bad for Jerry when he was at his father in law's office asking for money. Like that's obviously like shitty on jerry's part exclusively i felt like but when it's in his home and he's eating dinner with jerry and his wife and addressing how they choose to parent their child like that stuff you feel it's uncomfortable it's, yeah. yeah like who who does that i guess a lot of people do that <laughs> a lot of people do that no absolutely a lot of people do that i guess i couldn't picture i'd have to picture myself in that scenario <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> what that we're, that we're less shitty collectively than Jerry and well, his I don't even think that it's. I think it's just a, an idea. Like you can tell that these people have kind of grown up in environments like this their entire life, and that is just something that they probably learn from their parents, which gets handed down to them, and so on and so forth. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And whereas Marge and Ed, I don't really get that vibe from them. It is very much like a respectful, mutual relationship where it's like, eh, I'm just going to be kind to you because I like you. Mm-hmm. Or just, I'm just going to be kind to you just because. Because I think that they are just genu- genuinely kind people. Um, but uh, one, one scene that stands out to me that's like almost out of place in this movie but makes sense in retrospect is the scene where uh, Marge's old classmate from, I think it was high school? Was it high school or yeah. college? Mm-hmm. She, she she gets a call randomly saying like, "Hey, I saw that you're you were in the news or whatever. Like, it's been a long time. You want to catch up?" And immediately, this is the first time. This is, I think, the closest we get to a hero's test in the movie, and it's very mundane and very silly. But like, she goes like, "Oh yeah, I'll go meet this guy or whatever." And so it's like, "Oh, she's gonna meet a, a possibly an old flame from high school or." school or whatever like oh she wants to look nice okay what's going on here what what i thought you had something with ed what's going (laughs) on but it's just such a wholesome again another mundane they get lunch at they don't get lunch at sizzler this time but they definitely get lunch at sizzler at one point in the movie and i just thought that was great because (laughs) i love sizzler (laughs) but the second time they go to like a hotel and they get a like a hotel uh, restaurant, and that's that's where she meets her her old buddy. Uh, what do you remember this guy's name? It's Mike. Mike. Mm-hmm. She meets up with Mike, and you could tell Mike is keen on Marge. Mike definitely wants to score with Marge. Yeah, unnervingly so. He's, like it's very he's creepy. clearly off balance. <laughs> and and again, you see her investigative work 
once again because she's getting those vibes too. She's like, oh, I immediately regret going out to this meal because this dude's clearly like creepy. He's creepy and he wants to get with me. Yeah. And she's like, not interested at all. You can tell right away, not interested. Please don't sit next to me. <laughs> but oh, because she's just uh, curious by nature and she's uh, a good at investigating, she kind of figures out like, oh, yeah, this dude just had a hard life. And this is why this is all happening. His wife died of cancer, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And so this is just his way of coping. And she's even though she's kind of repulsed by him, she's still kind to him. Which, again, is just going back to the kind of character she is. She's just good. When I first uh, saw this scene, before I thought about it, I was already on the path that I was feeling like this movie might have like unnecessary scenes or moments. Mm-hmm. And maybe that stems from some of it feeling so, like, every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a, a more a day in the life than like oh man this is an investigative crime drama I'm like oh do we really need to like see this scene or that scene or like why are they important and I was like struggling to to derive like intent from them and I felt this way really seriously for, for the dinner meetup I'm like why is there this B plot fuck why is there this C plot going on right now and it, it, it took me until you know after the movie thinking about it in the shower where I realized that it was actually uh, very important for her to meet up with this guy and then get a call from her other friend and then learn that he was lying to her about his his dead wife because that was that was the moment I think where she started to you know question people's word which seems interesting from like someone who is a cop you would assume that they would have a lot of experience just being naturally um untrustworthy of of people Mm. but it it took her you know being explained by her friend that like oh no he lied to you honey for her to go back and look at william h macy again and be like hey maybe you lied to me too Uh, yeah i think marge is someone who is just inherently believes in the good in people maybe what do you think cole yeah this seems like a much debated scene going from like its first release it's like a hotly contested scene oh really why, yes, why is as that far as why that's there's there are people on the side of like it's just it's a movie about the the strange ways life's intersect so you needed a scene like this that didn't serve a purpose there's a lot about that triggered her to be suspicious and there's a lot about it. it's just like her only not not failure but you see her she's excited about this meeting and she she does her hair and makeup and puts on a nice dress and is like double checking how she looks and everything and it's that she needs to have some temptation that she overcomes or some some weak spot in her marriage or sense of a person but it's it's a conversation that's been happening for like 20 years about like what's <laughs> the scene about really that's really interesting yeah i i didn't i didn't do much independent research after watching it mm-hmm. um but but I would have never thought that that people would talk about that so much, because it does seem. I I feel like if you're not watching it with critical intent, it could seem very pointless, which is I guess why people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think every other interaction so clearly, like if you want to watch it through this filter of like, you're either interacting with someone in a positive way because you care about them and you care about people, or your interaction with them is predicated on what you can get from them monetarily or in some sense like that and this conversation is one that just doesn't fit neatly into either of those categories his he does have a genuine affection for her and he does 
care about her and like her and he doesn't want something from her but he is also essentially you know treating her poorly so that's a more complicated interaction than most of what you see in the movie i think and and i think like going back to what you said joey about like watching the movie with critical intent like you are trying to unpack stuff actively as as opposed to just average moviegoer just wants to like hey i came here because i heard this movie was good i'm gonna check it out and they don't really go in with the critical eye or you know shined and ready to go i I do think that a scene like this is just another i always like to think of movies as like an essay where like they open with a thesis and by the end of the movie they will have either like confirmed that thesis or like negated it and confirmed either this thing is true or it is not. They're trying to convey some sort of universal truth and everything that is in between from beginning to end is a supporting sentence in their overall essay. All movies are science. I mean, I think that there's some something to it where you, you know, if something doesn't belong, you cut it out for a reason. And I think that everything that it is in a movie should support what you are trying to say with that movie. And even though you might not understand what it is actively in the current scene being expressed by the end of it it kind of coalesces into this amorphous blob of feeling where you're like i kind of understand why this character behaved this way because i have a better understanding of just seeing them to that point i mean i guess that that would make Fargo a really interesting use case for that scenario because i definitely did have moment i've i feel like normally when i watch it when i watch a movie now i'm or i guess i am watching them you know for for the purpose of this podcast a little bit more critically than if i was just you know casually on the couch but m- most things i feel like i i don't notice if if something is necessary or unnecessary like the first time through but i definitely had that that thought with fargo which which felt unique of me being like does this need to be here yeah. um i i i felt that um th- there were a couple things that took me out of fargo from like from like a production standpoint uh and i don't know if it's just uh i i, f- I feel like after watching it it's it seems like a somewhat low budget film i don't know if that's true or not um, I'm gonna go with it is, uh, just just because c- comparing like some of uh, some of the like like the gun effects and the blood effects and and the fighting and whipping each other with belts and uh, it, it it seemed uh, it seemed weird and even some of the some of the hard editing seemed a little bit jarring. They they do a lot of full complete dips to black. Yeah, I always thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> I don't really know why. Maybe it's like a way of chilling out. I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what kind of a purpose it, it would serve, but I I definitely spent more time thinking about uh, the editing or the effects because it, it it seemed like it was in the forefront. It was really easy to notice, like when like the cop uh, having the the comical amount of blood squirt out of his head that that almost seems slapstick in the way that 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 practical effect was was just like jarring and funny and interesting to me all at the same time. Yeah, I almost, it's strange because I think the, like the level of violence, you know, if it was really realistic and it, and it felt like you, you responded to it viscerally because it was so well done, I feel like that would not fit this movie at all though. So I don't know what the, the middle option is between like a little corny and cheesy and like, why is, why is this movie suddenly feel very violent and body horror for lack of a better word. Yeah, and I'm 
I feel like for the series, they leaned more into body horror and violent than yeah. than um, yeah. Fuck, there, there, there's there's a word I'm thinking of. Uh, would this be appropriate an appropriate time to say campy? The the movies campy or the, like like the some of some of the violence or effects. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think so for mm-hmm. sure. And I, whereas I think that there is some sort of like like veris- the the series is very true to life with how it portrays violence. I remember when. Uh, when our Jerry stand-in in the series kills his wife, he kills her, he hits her on the head, and it is – it's not, like, overly gory, but the impact of it, the camera doesn't cut away. It's just, like – I remember, like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it shocked me. Yeah. And I think if that had happened in this movie, it would have, like, almost tainted it somehow in, in my eyes. Like, it would have been, like, ugh, what is this movie? Like It would have felt like it was trying to be – edgy yeah in a way and it that like reframes all of the the pleasantry in this movie if it feels edgy ever yeah like going to that money exchange in the parking lot with uh with jerry's father-in-law and steve buscemi's character like it is downright just silly how it all unfolds it's very like anticlimactic it's very unsexy in the way you think of like a hollywood shootout it is just like two dudes shooting at each other from point blank. One falls down, one dude gets shot in the face, gets really mad, and then just plugs him like eight times in the chest for no real reason. Like it's just, it's not good looking. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't look great, but I, I, I really <laughs> like your your thoughts about that, Coral, because I, I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Just, just through and through. I, I think, I think you're correct with your analysis. But maybe there's something about me that just wants that that weird realism, and 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 just because I'm so used to that, it's mm-hmm. hard for me to take a step back and be like, hold on, may, this kind of almost serves a purpose mm-hmm. to to not be hyper realistic. Um, also, Martin Freeman's character in season one, his name is Lester Nygaard. Lester just Nygaard. For, for, the, for the audience <laughs> and, and my own sanity. Um, what I, I, I was, when I finished watching it, I was uh, trying to think what kind of a box to put Fargo in. Or like what you would call it, like on the Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I guess it's kind of a dark comedy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. I'd say it's, I would even go far as to say as it is noir. <laughs> it is detective I guess it has noir. a lot of those, a lot of those uh, tropes. Yeah, no, for sure. Or, 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 or flagging markers. And, and like The Big Lebowski is another movie that it is a detective noir, but it's very just framed from a silly angle because of the Coen brothers. Like they just like to play with the idea of genre a bit. Does noir normally gra- like glamorize crimes? I don't know that it glamorizes it. I think it's more so like noir is a style of storytelling to some extent where you have certain archetypes. uh, You have certain expectations. Usually it's rain-soaked cities and things like that. But it doesn't need to be. But it's usually detective, murderer, crime, offense fatale. it usually requires the criminals to be a little more (laughs) organized and intelligent. Oh yeah, sure. or at least lucky. Yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Because they're not in Fargo, which which really makes me wonder. Since there's no glamour to the crimes in Fargo, mm-hmm. um, is this a more accurate representation of what real world crime is like? 
because I, I I don't know that answer. But to me, it feels like something you know much more real than whatever other crime action movie you want to name. Like it feels like it's in the realm of possibility. I think this is probably a more accurate depiction of crimes that get solved. Yeah, ah. that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's perfect, Coral. <laughs> that's because I, I feel like we don't get a lot of those you know crimes that get solved like on ncis or like it has uh-huh. to be like the most insane high level detective work <laughs> that no one else could even conceive of and that's the only way someone gets caught csi dna labs people, yeah i think people normally get caught because they fuck up or something goes wrong or just good detective work yeah yeah there there is definitely the, to some extent that like oh i could have solved this if i were in those shoes because like it all, all the evidence lines up. They yeah. play, they play fair. Yeah, they, I, everything happened in a car <laughs> from that dealership with dealership tax. Yeah. I also just dumb criminals, right? Yeah. Like at yeah. the end of the day, dumb criminals. <laughs> um, there, there, there's a couple other things to just kind of jump around that that were striking to me. Um, I think that the sex scene in the beginning of the movie is one of the funniest sex scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. And I don't know if it intended to be that way, but I just found, I think that might be the only time in the movie that I actually laughed because it, it just seemed so absurd to me and weird that, that I thought it was really funny. Um, I had that watching a movie in public reaction because I was watching it at work on my like second computer screen. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I forgot there was a sex scene in this movie. Oh, man, this is weird now. That's fine. <laughs> People watch TV all the time there. Yeah, you know, for I, I for know. for work, right? Just, I mean, I, no one else can know that I've, I've watched a movie with a sex scene <laughs> in it, and at, God forbid, no one can watch me watch that scene. Yeah. Nick's <laughs> low key super prude, Coral. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think having sex workers in that movie is a important fleshes out a lot of the themes of that movie more completely, though, because you have a lot of people who are beaten down by just the need to like chase money and people who suffer through Mm. labor and who cannot find a human connection because every interaction they have is predicated on profit. So I think the, the necessary flip side of that entire coin is that sex workers exist. So I'm, I'm glad they were included. Oh, I'm glad you unpacked that because I definitely flew over my head, but yeah, it seems like most, it seems like if you wanted to like write a paper on Fargo, a good topic might be, how uh, money impacts the lives of all the characters. Yeah, I think this movie has a pretty notable anti-capitalist bent to it. Mm-hmm. Which is why Coral thinks it's really fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think my favorite scene, though, in the whole movie, outside of meeting Marge, is just the very last scene in the movie where her so and with Ed, Marge? Yeah. W- Marge and Ed are, are laying in bed and they're watching TV and, you know... He, he got second place in that stamp contest, and he's kind of bummed about it. She's consoling him. She's very proud of him and the work he's done. And he has no idea what she witnessed <laughs> and what she saw. And she doesn't feel compelled to tell him because it's just part of her job. And it's just they're about to fall asleep, and she says, you know what, Ed? We're doing okay. And that is what the movie's about. Like that is just like, hey, no matter what your life is like, it's definitely better than <laughs> than uh, Jerry and what happened with his. Like, people, I think, get hung up on a lot of things in their life, rightfully so. 
but at the same time, you didn't try to get your wife kidnapped for ransom money because you're too much of a pathetic person to stand up for yourself and do that sort of thing. So, hey, you know what? You're doing okay. <laughs> so if we just kidnap Coral Nick, yeah. <laughs> then we take ransom well, money. Well, wait. I don't know who's going to put up a lot of money for me. <laughs> well, I mean, your, your parents scuba dive. <laughs> scuba cash. Yeah. All that scuba money. Um, Cor- Coral, do you like Fargo? I do. I, I enjoyed it more than I expected to because I did remember it a little a little dull, but I think I had more to dig into as an actual adult now. What do you guys think of the wood chipper? Uh, it was so much. It's very gross. I think it's closest <laughs> that the movie gets gory. Yeah. Mm. Everything else is, you know, a gunshot. And that's, that is a human foot. <laughs> it, it reminds me of like a thing that we would have done when we worked at the attack. <laughs> where we have like a super, un, like the, the point of the, this particular part of the scene is this character is disposing of evidence. And then we'd be like, well, we got a wood chipper. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if we just had like a comical amount of blood spray out of one end? Then you have like a foot sticking out on the other end. Yeah, I'd like was... to do the science. I mean, how did they crush the whole body? But for some reason, like the femurs having problems getting in the wood chipper. Yeah, I've always my... heard it's the rib cage that really. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why is that a thing you've heard? <laughs> People have gone through wood chippers. Oh, <laughs> Read a lot about it. I, um, I, I always imagine that scene differently in my head because I've heard about it multiple times before actually watching it. And I imagine like a much bigger wood chipper. Mm. So to see how how uh, tepid it was, yeah. it was interesting. And I do wonder how much blood would actually come out of someone in a wood chipper sense like that because would it- they just made like a snow cone on <laughs> yeah. on, on the snow. But I feel like there there there'd be more. You have the mindset that it would just pool underneath. Oh yeah, it, yeah. it would it would be it would be gnarly. But <laughs> I, I I really like that 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 climactic feeling where they're like, oh hey, we don't he he doesn't see you know the cop coming up because of the noise <laughs> yeah. of the wood chipper. He's just really trying to cram the leg in it. I feel like all things considered, not the worst way to get rid of a body. I mean, what about all the as blood? As, yeah, as long as no one goes near that scene yeah. for like six months. And also, I think it would spray because think of it like a grape. Like if you were to squeeze a grape from one and it would just all burst out of the other, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. Did they that's both go through the wood chipper? No, I think they found, they found her body in the house still. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so they didn't both go It was the just Steve Buscemi's body that got wood chippered. Yeah. Man, it it is uh, tragic that she just died for really no reason, at all. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was yeah, it was, it was and that's absolutely no reason. All for a little money. <laughs> I also think it's interesting um, the body double they got as soon as uh, the bag went over her head. Like the rest of the movie, that was <laughs> that was not that actress, <laughs> and it was a little obvious. <laughs> well, yeah, they can't put an actress in a. They can't put a bag over someone's head for that long. I'm just thinking practically. Imagine paying that that like AAA actor, AAA rate to just not be on camera. Nah, man. Casey Affleck was the ghost in A Ghost Story the whole movie. He doesn't say a word and he has a sheet over his head the entire time. And it was him. <laughs> I don't know if you're making a joke. I'm not. That was really Casey Affleck. Really? Yes. Oh, it didn't man. have to be. Maybe he wanted to be. He's method, man. Dude, that, that's, how, that's how you get in character. Um, do, do you like Fargo, Nick? I really like Fargo. 
I, I, I thought also like I wouldn't like it as much because I've seen the movie like four times at this point. And I'm like, I, I know what happened in this movie. But there's just like little things that you catch and I'm like, oh, that was cool. Like I, I don't remember that, but that was fun. And it's just like, you know, you're not often exposed to like a good movie. And so just to be like hit over the head with like, oh, no, this is a good movie. It's like, oh, wow. This is how a good movie. This is what a good movie looks like. Great. I don't like the Paul Bunyan statue. <laughs> is, that's just because you don't like Paul Bunyan. Yeah, I do like that the that the motel was called the Big Blue Ox Motel, though, <laughs> or something like that. That that's some that's some fun uh, Paul Bunyan continuity. But yeah, the uh, the the creepiest thing for me in that whole movie was just that that upshot of that statue and not anything else. Yeah, that's one thing. What really is, unsettling? What's the point of the the Paul Bunyan? Is it just a funny thing? Uh, hear hear me out. Two hundred IQ. Um. You can't say 200 IQ and then um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that through the magic of editing, we'll we'll. No, nah, I'm we'll keeping just... it in. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's you can make me sound smarter just by cutting all this middle part out as as, as I actively think. Um, the dude looks at the Paul Bunyan statue and then kills his partner with an axe. No, yeah, that might mm. be it. he gets the idea there. But Paul Bunyan comes up a couple times throughout the movie. It's well, okay. Maybe it's like the the eyes in Great Gatsby, where it's like it's watching you. It's definitely. I feel like the Paul Bunyan statue almost bookends the movie, though, because it's where things yeah. go wrong, and then it's where justice is. Oh yeah, had. yeah. There you go. Paul Bunyan is justice. You heard <laughs> it here first. There's there's more bookends in the movie too, because it starts and stops with with the whole white frame snowy film thing. That's not a film thing. The movie, the, the movie opens and closes like on that shot that's almost completely blown out with mm-hmm. like cars in the snow. Oh, well, there you go. Joey, did you like Fargo? I did like Fargo, but the real question: Did you like it more than the series? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's because you're just a big Billy Bob Thornton fan. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that is only half a joke because, yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I have just incredibly fond memories of the first season of Fargo. And I, I think that it was an incredibly uh, well-made show with, with, with character arcs they appreciated and something that we don't often see on television. Uh, I'm also a sucker for like that weird like anti-hero bad protagonist stuff that that both the movie and, and the series does. And um, while I do think that it's better than the third season of Fargo, I don't think that the movie to me is better than season one or season two. I think I think is like if you look at them as as complete works, I would rather watch all eight hours of the series than than watch Fargo. Oh, the movie. Hear me oh. out. Hear me out. The Fargo TV series is the movie adaptation of the real life events of the Fargo movie in the world of the Fargo movie because it's high, it's Hollywood, it's super stylized. Dude, you're the 200 IQ. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I like Fargo as a movie. I'm happy that I watched it. I, I, I like the series more, and and I wouldn't say. Uh, in, in, in a lot of these, you kind of, you know, almost almost put things in, in ranking positions. Yeah, what would you And um, I, I think I would put it both under... Um, uh, fuck. 
God damn it. Jurassic uh, Park. Okay. Is it better than Jurassic it, Park? I think that it is better than <laughs> Jurassic Park. I think it's better than Green Book, and I think it's better than The Matrix. So it's not as good as The Thing? Seven or Collateral. So <laughs> <laughs> That's very interesting ranking. <laughs> it, 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 I, well, by that ranking, it is exactly in the middle of the pack. And the, if and if I liked a movie in the middle of the pack, that means that we've watched more movies that I like than I don't like. So well, we're, we're 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 learning something. I but think. you still didn't like Jurassic Park, so that's like minus two. That's still minus two uh, on the back end. I think I still make people salty by by claiming that one. I we I, I still kind of get shit and <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't like Jurassic Park? Yeah, bad movie. <laughs> it's just, just 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 bad. Um, I honestly thought you would like Fargo more than your ranking indicates. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I I think that at far so out of all the movies we've watched, Fargo is the one that I watched with the most with the highest expectations and i wonder if that if not hitting those high expectations brought it down a little bit for me mm. because yeah. i feel like when when i watching collateral i had absolutely zero expectations and i really enjoyed it which probably like like makes it a better experience walking away from it where whereas uh fargo i have high expectations and like i i only just liked it like i don't feel like it reached the whole way so it so i feel like it's it, it knocks it down a little bit just, just, sense. just a little bit. Um, so be, before we wind up, wind down, I mean, before, before we, we, we call it quits, what is our next movie? So um, is this a good time in the podcast to apologize for the long break between Never episodes? apologize. Pretend Never it, apologize. Pretend it doesn't happen. <laughs> pretend it doesn't happen. I sweep it like, under the rug. I feel like that's remarkably, <laughs> I feel like that's remarkably disingenuous. <laughs> like, no, that, this, like, this podcast is going to get super popular later, and everyone is going to go back and listen to it from the beginning, and they're not going to have any idea this ever happened. Yeah. They're not, unless they, like, are really, unless they yeah. look at the dates. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But don't do that. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to do that. Who looks at the dates on a podcast? I'm, I'm, yeah. Not, yeah don't, don't look at the dates. Don't apologize. I'm sorry that there was a that there that there was a long break. <laughs> there were situations out of our control. It was mostly Nick's fault. I'm not going to lie. Um, that is not true. <laughs> <laughs> you can let you can leave that up. I mean, who's the one who wants to apologize for you? You you, you can leave that up. <laughs> um, we did a while back host a poll on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/CyberGarbage, where um, you know people watch the podcast, they watch they watch our show on Twitch, Twitch.tv/slash/CyberGarbage. They hang out on Discord. Where you can talk about both things at CyberGarbage.cool. Get those plugs in. Um, a, a, a while ago, right after Green Book, about our next movie because y'all were going to pick it, and and we we had quite the contentious race, so much so that we needed a runoff. And even our runoff was very close. The, 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 the two choices were Ex Machina and Memento. Did I, very did I, did very I say different. it right that time? You said it right. Okay. Memento? Just Memento. Mementos? Those two very different Coke, movies. Coke and Mementos? Yeah. Okay, whatever. I'm sorry. Uh, again, for both those things now. Um, and... Um, Y'all, by a very narrow margin, chose Memento. So that is going to be the next movie that we're watching. If you're listening to the audio version, you can't see the color drain from Coral's <laughs> face. She was mad when she found out what we were watching now. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we're, uh, we're building the most, like, freshman year bro movie yeah. list. <laughs> and I... 
in full disclosure, don't necessarily enjoy that. <laughs> I, th- I think that we start on a path of like, let's try and find something Joey's interested in. And I think that we did kind of walk down that road. We, we, we hit some notes like with Seven and Collateral. Just and like the bro. A, a stunning amount of movies we watched have been from the late 90s. Yeah. Interesting. Almost every Almost movie every- <laughs> has been from 95 to 2000. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, we're we're gonna do Memento, <laughs> and then I think we're gonna try and have a little bit of a culture shift, and really try and see as as wide as we can go <laughs> on the field, because That's I think wide, I, huh? I think I think that'll be good for for both our sanity, uh, and also just just exploring this concept of me not liking movies. Oh, I'm gonna have fun with this. <laughs> I Nick, <laughs> we have to talk later. Um, but yeah, no, I just uh, I, I, again, uh, well, there will be a, a little bit of a quicker turnaround time. Your homework is Memento. Dude, everyone loves Christopher Nolan. Did we already watch a Christopher Nolan movie? No, no. Okay, good. Dude, next we shall watch The Dark Knight. Uh, no. It's in the IMDb top 100 movies of all time. It's in the top 10. Well, that ring. Let's just do, watch Shawshank Redemption. I've seen Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> why, why the arc, Coral? I'm just can we, can so we... tired. <laughs> uh, Yo, have you? Maybe you might just have the taste of a freshman college bro. I don't want that. <laughs> I so I try and swim so hard against that. For those who are curious and aren't using a second screen experience and want to know what the IMDb top 250 movie rankings of all time based on IMDb user ranking is, number one is indeed the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Number two is probably The Dark Knight. No, it's not. It's The Godfather. Number three is The Dark Knight. <laughs> number four is The Godfather Part Two. And if you want to round out the top five, number five is Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Maybe then- I don't like movies either. <laughs> See, this is one of those things people are like, man, the critics don't know what they're talking about. Here, it's all about the fans. The fans really know. It's like, no, the fuck they don't. Look at that list. Hear me out. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like it's just fine to rent on the top ten now. Number six is Pulp Fiction. Number seven is Schindler's List. Uh, number eight is Twelve Angry Men. Number nine is Inception. Number ten is Fight Club. So for those who are counting, I've actually seen every movie in the top ten except for two which one? three, three. Oh, the Dark Knight. I haven't seen the Dark Knight. I haven't seen Fight Club, and I haven't seen uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and we don't have to go there. Crit- nor do I really want to. Critics exist for a reason. Everyone listening, and it's definitely not to create a terrible top two hundred and fifty movie list like that. Well, this this is publicly created. Yeah, I know. That's why. Maybe don't listen to the fans. <laughs> I'm just. I mean, everyone loves the Shawshank Redemption. And I kind of liked Fargo. And maybe we'll like Memento. And after that, we're going to get something so far out of left field, you guys. What if Coral loves Memento? I've seen Memento. <laughs> I can promise you I don't love <laughs> Memento. Coral, I classify that as spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> You're spoiling our podcast. <laughs> um, thank you all for being here with us. Again, uh, patreon.com slash cybergarbage. And cybergarbage.cool is our Discord. I am almost positive almost exactly positive that everyone listening to this is already in discord but in case you're not please come hang out with us uh sp- spread the word uh the, the 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 church of nick and uh yeah. you know let let, let 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 a friend know uh give, give us one of those ratings on itunes um we just checked before the podcast and we have eight five-star reviews but no one's written a review but no one's written a review criticize us but in a good way 
you know, g- g- give it to us on Apple, on, on Apple iTunes. Give us that five stars. Uh, Spotify. iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Nick, it's Apple Podcasts Nick, now. My patience, like corals and just from a very thin. <laughs> All <laughs> um, right. Bye. <laughs> well, you just said her patience was done. Okay, bye. It's not a paint. I thought the uh, Bechdel test was like, there's women in the in the piece of entertainment, and they talk, but they, the test is whether or not they talk about a man. Yeah, those are the three requirements for a movie to pass the Bechdel test. What um, they have to, they also have to have names. They have to be named characters who talk to each other about something other than a man. <laughs> so they would be like, oh, how about that weather? Yeah, that counts. <laughs> it's surprisingly rare. <laughs> it's not supposed to be a test of like, is this movie feminist? As much as like, when you start applying yeah. this test to a lot of movies, you realize how small women's voices are in the landscape of cinema. Mm-hmm. Not so much a piece by piece. I'm looking at a chart on Wikipedia, and it says that female characters in movies between 1950 and 2006 is uh, less than 33 percent. Yeah, it's also a good sign that your movie's probably just bad. Because it's like, oh, why are these characters here? <laughs> yeah. I think there's like a cool, uh, maybe cool is the wrong way to put it. Maybe the cool is the right way to put it. I don't know. I'm being too cautious about my words. I feel like there's almost a, a, a renaissance of like strong uh, the female the writing and television right now, especially with Phoebe Walter-Bridge both making two different shows and starring in one. And then um, Tuka and Birdie from Netflix was like an all-female staff. Yeah, I and... think TV's been a very helpful door lately for all kinds of different voices that would normally struggle to get into mm-hmm. film big little lies is like a show that i believe has a lot of women writers on staff too yeah um so i mean i i, I appreciate it uh it was really interesting watching Tuca and birdie just because i i watched it because i love the the art director and creator so much because of her work on bojack mm-hmm. and um it was the first time that i ever watched i think any media that notification is going to be permanently baked in forever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's fine. Um, it was the first time I ever watched any piece of media at Coral where I was like, um, I don't think this is necessarily made for me. Yeah. The fir- and then like j- just having the realization that I've never thought that thought before <laughs> out of the thousands and thousands of things that I watched was crazy. Yeah. And really made me take a step back and realized um, that uh, uh, men are piece of shit. <laughs> the takeaway <laughs> took a show about a toucan <laughs> i i thought the what was the name of the test fuck bechdel i thought that, that was just the test for when odell beckham jr is in the movie i thought it was bechdel it's bechdel mm-hmm. it's allison bechdel is a comics writer oh hmm. and she she had two of her characters invented the test so you can't have like just beck in the movie singing and be like, oh, I'll be past the Beck. So it, it started in like a fictitious work. The Bechdel test was like a joke. Yeah, it, a I think I don't think it had a name when it was. It was just two women talking about movies and like, oh, that's how cool. rare do movies? How rare is it for movies to accomplish these three things? And it kind of took off and it got named after that. That's pretty cool. Author. That's that's really neat. I like. You that should look lot. at the Wikipedia article. It's actually very interesting. I'm going to stop reading it now because I'm not paying attention to what you guys <laughs> are talking about. But the Wikipedia article is very enlightening. It isn't the first time that I've heard about that. So this cool. so, so it's cool. She also wrote a uh, Fun Home, which is an excellent graphic novel that was also turned into a 
musical on Broadway, I, I think. It was just a musical. I feel like it was like a movie script too for a little while. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. Uh, that that was required reading in one of my college lit classes. Mine too. What? My queer lit class. Uh, mine was just a normal lit class. Oh. Yeah, we don't read queer things in Georgia unless it's <laughs> <laughs> explicitly in like, the name. Hey. Yeah. Um Well why are we here? What's going on? Why are we here? Yeah, I, I thought I thought we were in just, the grand scheme of things. I thought we were just here to hang out, spend spend a minute since we all just got yeah. to sit down and say hi to oh, each other. Oh man, for a quick second, that looked like there was a, a Confederate flag in my picture in picture. <sighs> Cut that out! Like, look at look yeah. at the you yeah. see it the 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 mic arm crossed with the red tablecloth. I was like, oh my god, what is that? Where did that come from? It looks more like a diver's safety flag. Yeah, that's what it is. It's diver safety. That's a good. We reference. are all scuba trained. It's a good reference to just pull out of your butt, Carl. <laughs> I, I'm named Coral. I need to have some sort of ocean. Are you scuba literacy. certified? No. <laughs> you get, you gotta be before you die. <laughs> would that it's be a thing scary. that would interest you at all, or would you just be like, ah, I'm never gonna do it, that? It genuinely is very very scary to me. I like snorkeling, but I I don't think I would handle scuba diving. It'd be very well. scary. Yeah. I can't handle snorkeling well when I when like breathing through mm-hmm. the tube. Like my body doesn't doesn't <laughs> just it wants to reject it. But yeah. I have used a regulator not for like a deep snorkel, but just just or not for like a deep dive, but just for like going under in like a pool. Yeah, I'm like okay, this makes a little bit more sense. But the first couple times you do it, it's really uh, freaky. I feel yeah. I feel like I could do scuba diving, but then I saw like a picture of someone doing like cave diving combined with scuba diving and i just absolutely i was like i no. if you also if you scuba enough like you're gonna meet sharks that's just (laughs) a normal thing that happens i'm (laughs) is that that. is that where you would panic (laughs) i don't think so i I panic on the like you're underwater so far yeah and like people who do night dives that's crazy to me my parents used to do night dives that like i can't imagine ever doing that oh your parents are rad they, they w- were, I think. <laughs> They're like, I guess it's time to have a daughter and lay low now. Yeah. 